Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Deep Dive podcast, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, we should have a good one today. Gonna gonna talk, obviously, this past week with the Kraken, talk about some Joey Decord, because that was like a big part of this past week for the Kraken, a very good week for the Kraken. Gonna talk Daniel Sprong. Because another big factor for the crack of this past week was Daniel Sprong coming back into the lineup, scoring a ton of goals for them. So I think it is time that we have the Daniel Sprong conversation, RJ. Should the team be bringing him back for next year? What are our thoughts on all that? We'll get to that. And then also maybe some some Andre Burakovsky speculation. I want to just underline, circle, bold, italicize speculation when I when it comes to that. But we'll get to that all later. Got to start with the cold open because I guess podcasts have to. Like we check the the laws and like if we need to upload this po- as a podcast, we have to have a cold open. It said so. So I'll just riff off of last week when I tried chicken parm. Tried a different Seattle kind of based food this week, RJ. Salmon. And I liked it. Oh, okay. It's pretty good. Congrats. I mean, for as picky of an eater as you are, I I don't even like salmon. I, I don't do the whole seafood thing. So um, congrats to you. You've got something on me now. There we go, everybody. Shame him. Shame him. Stop shaming me for food takes. Shame him. <laughs> Did it. Keep shaming him for goalie takes, though. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And I'm not looking forward to this Daniel Sprong discussion either when it comes to potential comments I might be receiving. Um, but let's start with the good stuff, RJ. And that is that the Seattle Kraken in the last week went on a tear, and they, they just said, you know what, we're going to grab five or six points, and we're going to do it against the Dallas Stars and then two games against the Nashville Predators, kind of really solidify that playoff spot. I've seen lots of different, like, you know, playoff projection models and stuff, but almost all of them have the crack in, like, over 99% to make the playoffs now after, after what they were able to do in Nashville, grabbing three of four points. So, I mean, it's just, I, I'm, I'm feeling good. Again, last week we were just talking, we're just a wild card team. I still kind of thinking that. But also after this week, RJ, I mean, third spot out of the Pacific, it's not technically out of the question, maybe? No, I mean, it's still technically in range. It's going to require the Oilers faltering a little bit. But you know what? I, that's something the Oilers have done in the past. I, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise, even though they've got kind of an easy schedule. Uh, but it sets up this nice kind of end of the season where there's no real danger of losing out on a playoff spot. I don't think the Kraken are in any danger of that anymore. You picked up the points you needed to against Nashville. Neither them nor Calgary is going to catch you. I think that's just a reality at this point. And it sets up this fun race with Edmonton. I mean, the Kraken are three points back of the Oilers. One game in hand, though. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you win that game in hand, which they're they're playing Minnesota tonight, uh, you know, you win that, you're one point back. It, it's certainly doable with nine games to go. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely doable. We'll talk next week because we wanted to, you know, originally we were like, oh, maybe we can do, you know, who do we want the Kraken to face in the playoffs? But because Minnesota is definitely one of those teams that they could be facing in the first round. We wanted to wait and see how the Kraken do tonight against them before we have that conversation. But talking about the Oilers, RJ, is there any chance that they maybe just go at some point here late in the season? They go, let's let's take McDavid, let's take Dreisaitl out of the lineup. We don't want them getting hurt before the postseason, right? Like, obviously, like I, like, I would consider doing that if I was them. I know it's not normal in hockey, but, like, Connor McDavid is so important to your playoff run. Do you consider doing that if you're Edmonton? 
I, I would consider it. I mean, it's the kind of decision that's really hard to defend publicly. I don't think they would do it, certainly. Um, but, you know, if it was me, I'd think about it just because that's so important. But I think the seating does matter to them as well. I think they don't want to be in the central bracket. I won't I wouldn't blame them for that. Mm -hmm. um, I think you want to stay in the Pacific bracket. You probably want that matchup likely against L.A. And I, I think also, you know, there's there's Connor McDavid and, and the matter of the points race. And I mean, he's got that certainly locked up, but <laughs> kind of want to see how high he can go. And I think he might want to see how high he can go. Um, I don't know if McDavid would be a biggest fan of, of kind of preemptively just precautionarily shutting himself down. I was going to say, if he wants to get to 150, then he's going to want to stay in the lineup. But yeah, otherwise, points race locked up, goals race probably locked up as well. Like, you've won the Rocket Richard mostly, too. So uh, it is uh, it is an interesting question there. But uh, let's, let's talk about these games uh, some more, RJ, for the Seattle Kraken. First thing I think we have to talk about in regards to the games is Joey Decor. Because he comes sure. up from comes up from Coachella Valley, comes in, makes some makes some big time starts for the Kraken, and is able to win a game, take another one to overtime, loses in a shootout. No, nothing wrong with that. Um, and you know, most likely this will be the last time we see him with the Kraken this season. In which case, in his three games, you know what? He was able to pick up a point in in all three of them, at least, if not, you know, more. Yeah, I mean, he with the Edmonton game, Philip Grubauer leaves with a, a non-COVID illness, and he wasn't quite right for another few days after that. So um, instead of going to Martin Jones in net, we talked about it on the last deep dive. Yeah. Like, well, would you start Joey Decord for this Dallas game? Um, and and the Kraken end up doing it, and I'm I'm glad they did because he played well uh, in, in that five to four win against the Dallas Stars, um, and, and well enough to earn another start yeah. uh, against Nashville until Grubauer came back uh, for the last of the three games. And I thought Decord, this is exactly what he needed. Um, most goalies at his age with the record that he has in the AHL would have gotten more NHL opportunities by now. And I know that's something that I'm sure Decord is thinking about that NHL opportunity and getting in there. But when he had gotten into the net for the Kraken in the past, um, it had always been under really tough circumstances, hadn't really gotten to string starts together very much. And the defense in front of him had usually been pretty poor. Uh, but you get a couple games where I thought the Kraken played really well in front of him. The Dallas game, maybe you can uh, you know, throw out the last couple minutes of, of regulation there. But overall, he had some good play in front of him. He had a, a day's notice, at least, before coming in for a start. And I think you saw the results there showing that he can be uh, a really solid goaltender at the NHL level. Yeah, he can. I mean, he he was especially down low. I mean, so solid, especially in that Dallas game. It just felt like they kept trying to go low on him. It was not going to happen. They needed to give that that strategy up. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought he came in. He stood tall. He did exactly what he needed to do. He did what the Kraken kind of desperately needed him to do. And I don't know that we were like as urgent about it as as maybe we could have been last week. But the bottom line was if you went into this week knowing now that, you know, Grubauer wasn't going to be ready until that final game of the week, right? Like if, if the yeah. Kraken knew that internally or anything like that, if we had known that last week when doing the deep dive, I would have been like, oh my gosh, this is like absolute like desperate times because if you start dropping these games because Grubauer's out, whether it's Jones or, or Joey, this is a real, real problem for the Seattle Kraken. And instead, Joey just came in and like I said, he, he delivers you a win. He delivers you a shootout loss. I mean, that was that was absolutely huge to putting the Kraken in the spot where we're starting off this podcast talking about 
playoffs like like it's it's all it's all but guaranteed you know what i mean and without without joey doing what he did and playing as well as he did and and battling through all that stuff that doesn't happen and that includes battling through a, a rough dallas game at times right like where dallas yeah, is just pouring on extra pressure and that's a team full of guys capable of filling the net and it was not an easy you know, walk out of their win for the crack. And it was a big win, but it wasn't an easy win. And for Joey to be the person in net for something like that, I think shows not just us, the fans, but it shows the front office for the Kraken and everybody involved in that organization and potentially other organizations, what he can do. Definitely. And and I think we'll see that come this off season that he's got to get a, a bigger NHL opportunity one way or the other. Yes. Um, and, and yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. I think they missed him in Coachella Valley too. It seemed yes. like they had kind of a rough go of it yeah. while he was up with the Kraken. So um, I'm sure he'll, he'll go back to Coachella Valley and continue his great season there and, and gear up for their playoff run. Yeah, because that should be a really exciting playoff run as Coachella Valley is uh, looking for that top you know, record in all of the AHL. And obviously, Joey Decor has been a big part of that for them. And it'll just be interesting come the offseason, too, what the what the Kraken end up doing with, with him. Martin Jones going to be a free agent. Be surprised to, to see them bring him back. But Chris Drieger's still got a year under contract. But they've got the rights, I believe, still with, with Decor. Yeah, he's going to be an RFA. It's going to be an interesting goaltending situation this offseason, RJ. It really is. Yeah. I mean, even the rest of this season, Dylan, I got a quick question for you on yeah. this. Like, it, it seems like they're, they've sent the cord down for good this season, yeah. I, you know, unless something happens to one of Jones or Grubauer. Do you think that's the right call? I mean, knowing that maybe Martin Jones, we still can't fully trust him. I know there's only 10 games left, and I'm looking right. at like how often, but Grubauer, he's not going to start all 10, right? He can't. I think it no. looks like he's going to start today, but. You can't start them all 10. So do you just kind of trust Jones with whatever maybe two or three games you have to give him? Or, or would you have kept Decord up? I think, I mean, well, I kind of said uh, I would probably have kept Decord up, have him be my backup because here's the thing. I think it's fine given the situation the Kraken are in. You can trust Jones with a couple games, pick an Arizona game, pick the Anaheim game, whatever. Play, give him some starts. That's fine. You're, you know, you're in great, you're in a great uh, spot when it comes to playoff situation. But what I'm worried about is what happens if playoffs start and something happens to Grubauer, right? Yeah. Do Do you want to trust Jones with that, or do you want to maybe go with Joey Decor, who looked pretty good here and has, you know, if you're just going off of points percentage, uh, might maybe the best record for the Kraken goaltenders. So like I. I don't know. He's got the highest save percentage of a Kraken goaltender this year, the lowest GAA of a Kraken goaltender this year. Granted, his sample size is a lot smaller, but still, like, there is something to be said for that. I thought the team played really well in front of him. I don't know. I, I would consider, I would have maybe left him up and said, you know, this being our first playoff run is more important than whatever Coachella Valley's doing. Because the bottom line is the NHL is more important than the AHL. It just is. And you've got Chris Drieger down there for the Firebirds. Like, come on. I know there's so many goalies in the organization to consider now. Um, but yeah, and I suppose you, you can always call him up if something does happen to Grubauer. But, um, you know, maybe that's he won't have been around the NHL team again. It'll be kind of rushed up from Coachella yeah. Valley. It, it's 
not I would, the best situation. I would rather him be getting practices in with the team, working with the coaching staff, with the crack and all that stuff over that time period, just in case. Although, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Kraken are just like, look, we're, we're going to make the playoffs. That was our real goal this year. Whatever happens in there happens. We're not going to sweat too much about it. So, yeah, you know. anything without our true number one Grubauer, like we're probably not getting too far anyway. I mean, it, it, it sucks to think about, but most teams you lose your number one it, it's going to be a real tough yes. task especially for the lower seated team maybe you think about it that way yeah we, exactly. we go as grubauer goes and i wouldn't blame him for thinking that no i mean we've seen better teams than this think that way so you know <laughs> like teams that aren't, aren't a wild card team kind of thing so yeah it's an interesting one let's go ahead and talk about grubauer though because he did return to action in that big seven to two win over nashville and we'll we'll get more into the games in a second but i thought he looked good this despite having to you know miss basically a week and then come in and only face one shot for the first period he's back I thought Grubauer looked pretty good yeah definitely I mean he only had to face one shot for the first you know over 21 minutes of that game uh and that second shot was you know one from the point but then the third one was you know into a wide open net a couple like a second later mm -hmm. so it was a very difficult uh start just circumstance wise for any goalie especially one who hadn't played in a while but I I thought he did fine certainly after that um the Preds put on more of a push. He settled in. He made the saves he needed to make as the he gave the crack in time to kind of blow it open in the third. Yeah, um, yeah he's back. I mean, I'm, it doesn't seem like there's any lingering effects from that illness or whatever. I think he was just sick for a few days, but good to know that there didn't seem to be anything off. We've got regular group hour back. Yep. That's and it's fantastic. Really appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's it's all good stuff there. So let's go ahead and, and talk about these games, RJ, because contrary to what maybe a Jordan Binnington would want you to think a hockey team's a lot more than a goaltender. And so let's talk about the other aspects of the team from this past week, going back to that Dallas game. Can't bring up this Dallas game. If you're not going to talk about Joey decor, you got to talk about the Adam Larson OT winner. Cause it was, it was the most beautiful moment to happen in Kraken history, right? We're all in agreement on that. Yeah. I, I think you're all in agreement on that. Okay. Um, you and your your Adam Larson uh, hoodie that you've got in your room there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it was it was fantastic. I was really happy for him, especially you know that we all saw that like you know that face he was making on the bench when that game goes to overtime after you know Dallas is able to come back and and tie it up with that literal last second goal from Jamie Ben. You could see the disappointment on his face, and then to to contrast that with a couple minutes later, the elation at getting an OT game winner. It's his sixth goal on the season. Uh, it was I was really really happy for him, and obviously happy for the Kraken to to pull one out like that because uh, those last couple games in those same situations weren't really falling their their way and I was I was happy that this one was right it was a big worry after the Kraken had had troubles recently closing out games and this was no exception with the Stars uh, scoring two goals with their own goalie pulled uh, to tie the game late and including uh, Jamie Benz with under a second to go I mean that's that's just a heartbreaking goal yeah. and, and you could tell nobody was more gutted about that goal than Adam Larson mm -hmm. the, the TV cameras panned to him on the bench and I mean he just looked just looked dead i mean he had been out there probably a couple minutes at least for that final shift yeah uh and to have it go in that close to him too i mean but what's impressive is he was able to channel that frustration channel that disappointment uh into a great play in overtime and ultimately the game winner uh and i mean that's that's who adam larson is right such an intense such a competitive player you knew he wasn't going to accept that you know he was going to be 
frustrated about it for the 10 seconds the camera was on in there and then he was going to get to work uh and he did and to see him get a really pretty game-winning goal yeah. too uh you know who knew he had that in him i think i think we both knew though yeah well yes i i certainly believed in it uh this is why i've been <laughs> saying he needs to be playing forward as well as defense i mean I, figure out whatever you need to to get him out there for the full 60 i think he can do it uh otherwise in this game i mean return of daniel sprong right this was his first game back i believe uh, after being yep. out of the lineup for a little while there he gets a goal that that whole and an assist and an assist i mean all in the first period this was our live game commentary with the awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emerald city hockey we were on gordial hat trick watch for both him and brandon tanev after the first period that was a lot of fun for us all um but daniel sprung getting the goal in this one got to mention that because we'll be talking about him later brandon tanev though with two goals in this game uh, big showing for him up to 15 on the season, RJ. I didn't really expect that from him. No, I didn't. I mean, for a while this season, we were maybe talking about, okay, with how good the fourth line has been, should he be the odd man out for a game or two yeah. talking healthy scratch wise, but he's really turned it on recently. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised given that he's a playoff type player. I he think is. he kind of smells the playoffs approaching uh, and he's getting ready for that style of hockey. And you saw it in this game uh, and you saw it in the two Nashville games too, where Brandon Tanev was all over the place. And, and personally, I cannot wait to see him in the playoffs. Yeah, no, me too. It's going to be phenomenal. Uh, and then Jared McCann also picking up a goal as well. Uh, we'll we'll talk about him probably later as well. Um, but yeah, the, the real story for this one is Kraken, when the other team pulls their goalie, they get an extra attacker, Kraken struggle. And this has been a struggle all season for them. Uh, it's something we've talked about. It's a tough thing to practice for or prepare for because – what you're going to practice for a scenario in which you're close to winning a game. It's, you know, how often are you really in that situation? All that kind of stuff. Uh, it still very much is a situation that is in favor of you, the defending team, the, the team with the lead, but it is something that the Kraken struggle with. And, and this game especially highlighted that. Yeah, it did. And it's so tough to practice too, because you look at that final goal from Jamie Ben with under a second to go. That's the nature of these type of situations. It's chaotic by its yeah. very nature. You having teams just throw the puck to areas and guys try and get there however they can. I know there was some controversy about a, a potential cross check from Jamie Ben. I mean, the reality is that's just never getting called at that stage of the game. Certainly not when we approach playoff time. Um, but yeah, just guys hacking and whacking and shoving and pushing everyone out of the way. And it's so hard to practice that. You're certainly not going to practice, you know, one of your forwards coming yes. in and kind of cross checking Vince Dunn in, in, in front of the net and whacking at that puck. It's just not something you can effectively practice. But I do think it is a mindset thing where it's yeah. on the coaches and on the players to have that presence of mind where you know when you get the puck and you have a chance to clear it clear that puck out of the zone you mm -hmm. know don't be fancy with it don't do anything you don't need to do just get that puck out of the zone however you can exactly that's it's just the bottom line and again talking about things the Kraken have struggled with this year clearing the zone has been one of those things it's still you know it's it's right up there with the power play as things I'm most worried about come playoff time that inability just to Give yourself a breather, make a line change, do you know, just stop any sort of negative momentum working against you is a big, big, big deal, especially in the playoffs. And uh, I would still like to see the Kraken get a little bit better at that if possible here late. Um, looking then into the next Nashville game, 
this was a weird game, RJ. It was a really weird game. Uh, finishes, you know, in the shootout, 2-1 win for the Nashville Predators. Joey, again, looked fantastic in this one. Daniel Sprong gets a crazy goal to start this one against UC Saros, who <laughs> for, otherwise, outside of that, that Daniel Sprong goal where he's scoring it from behind the net almost, certainly behind the goal line, and he's just bouncing it in off of the back of... Uh, UC Saros. I mean, UC Saros was the story for this game, RJ. He, we got goalied hard. Absolutely. I mean, Saros with, with 27 saves on 28 shots. Uh, just a great effort. And the Kraken got their bearings as the game went on later in the third period. I mean, they were putting on quite the push to try and beat Saros. But, I mean, this is a, a top-tier goal in the NHL who's just doing his thing. Um, and, and I think... The Kraken couldn't get enough traffic. They couldn't generate a play really that would just take the goalie out of the play, Yeah, um, which is difficult to do. I mean, that that's very difficult to do. But again, they, they couldn't beat Saros in regulation or in overtime. And uh, then it gets the dreaded shootout. And um, <laughs> yeah, they couldn't beat him there either. No, they, they, they couldn't. But yeah, you I mean, you talk about it late. 11 shots in the third period for the Kraken. It was very one-sided in favor of Seattle. And yeah, like you said, they just couldn't get anything past him. I also thought for the rest of the game, you know, thinking about strategy-wise, why they, why they wait and pour on 11 shots there late, it felt like the Kraken kind of got lured into the whole Smashville trap. And it felt like maybe like an early season game against the Kings. I think back to the second game of the season against the Kings where the Kraken, you know, and, and I believe Haxtell talked about it after that one, kind of wanted to be physical with a physical team and, and kind of match that energy, match that pace. That Kraken had 29 hits to Nashville's 31. And it just felt like they were out there trying to kind of grind it out alongside Nashville and the bottom line is I don't know that that's really the identity of the Seattle Kraken team if the Kraken were a team that was very top heavy with their scoring and they weren't one that seems to have to rely on guys like Daniel Sprong coming into the lineup to provide their only goal in a game um, I would say okay yeah that's fine go ahead and try to be physical try to keep it low event all that kind of good stuff but the bottom line is we've talked all season about the Seattle Kraken team as one that outscores their goaltending problem or outscores their defense problem and they outscore it with depth. And so when you're sending out all four lines that all four lines are capable of scoring and you're having them out there to try to be physical and just be hard on a four check and try to you know muddy things up in the neutral zone like yeah that's that's fine it's certainly a strategy. I just don't know that that's really what this the identity of this roster is. No, it's not. And it's certainly what the identity of this Predators team is. And, and even more so because they're so banged up. They're missing yes. so many of their skill players too. Roman Yossi out of lineup for both of these Nashville games. I mean, that is huge for them. Ryan Johansson out for the rest of the season, it seems like. Um, so yeah, against that Nashville team, you, you just got to go out, be faster and be better than them. And you saw it on the Sprong goal, where it was a really quick kind of mm -hmm. two-line pass out of the D zone from Vince Dunn, gets it to Morgan Geeky, who immediately finds Daniel Sprong streaking into the zone um and you know it was a little bit of a broken play there put it a little bit ahead of sprung but still i mean you get the goal off of that attacking them with your speed but they just didn't do that enough over the course of the game no they didn't and it and it kind of showed it felt like this was a game that not only were you know the kraken getting goalied but it was also one in which they were letting nashville a team that certainly when this banged up is not as good as them dictate the pace of play dictate what was going to happen and uh, yeah, I just don't think the Kraken can can find themselves in that kind of situation again. And to their credit, they made adjustments. They did not do that 
for the next game against Nashville. Instead, they come out. Obviously, the game ends up 7-2. to two, So, you know, Kraken really got things going. But a lot of that came in the third period. But I was still impressed with what the Kraken were able to do in the first two periods. Obviously, Daniel Sprong opens up the scoring again. Oh, we're yep. getting to him. We're getting to him, I promise. <laughs> But it was also a good one for the Kraken in the sense that you had three first period power play opportunities. Ellie Tolvin is able to get a goal against his former team on one of those, gets you a power play goal, gets you up to nothing. And then from there, the Kraken were kind of able to dictate the pace of play, put a banged up Nashville roster you know, in a spot where they had to be making plays. And I really think that's where the Seattle Kraken team needs to be. Yeah, definitely. You could see the adjustments that were made and and especially to that first period mm-hmm. was maybe the most dominant period the Kraken have ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, I, going back to the stats here, I think what was the shot count? 13 to one. But I mean, the, the Predators only had one unblocked shot attempt the entire time yes. and it wasn't even at even strength. Um, you know, when you're able to do that, despite spending four, four minutes of the power, I'm sorry, four minutes of the period shorthanded. I mean, that, that was just an overall impressive effort. The Kraken gave up nothing, but, you know, still had to kind of work their way to generating more high quality chances. You got a couple goals, um, but that's kind of about the amount that you earned in that period. Um, and then, of course, the Preds tried to draw them back into that Smashville trap. They tried yeah. to get extra physical uh, with the Kraken, too. And, and you know, there were some plays uh, behind the play, like Brandon Tanev just got flat out knocked down by a Preds player in front of the bench. No call made, but he doesn't retaliate. He doesn't you know, get goaded into a penalty or anything like that, just gets up, takes a number and heads back to the bench. And so they just weren't able to draw the Kraken in. And that speaks to the mental toughness, the focus uh, to not get dragged into the mud. And ultimately that's why you see that game turn out seven to two. Right. And the the leadership too. I mean, we I've never talked about leadership so much around a team that doesn't have a captain, RJ, but the bottom line is it's because they have so many leaders uh, for them to also help keep everybody on board and on the same page. It's, it's exactly what they needed. And then when you talk about, you know, Seattle dictating play Seattle, when they are on, they are one of the best teams in the NHL at shot suppression. Nashville finishes that game with only 16 shots on goal. Right. Like that's incredible. And meanwhile, the Kraken have 39. Like it wasn't even like, oh, they just made this some low event game. Nobody really did anything. No, I mean, the Kraken were completely out there for this one. Uh, And then it finally showed in the third period when just everything was busted loose. Larson with the goal, Maddie with the goal, Jared with the goal, uh, Bjorkstrand with the goal. So much here to talk about. I I like, uh, you know, Bjorkstrand staying hot. Larson apparently is just going to start scoring goals like crazy. I'm fine with that. Um, (laughs) But the big ones were Jared McCann getting to 35. He's got 10 games to get five more, try to get to 40. That's going to be a fun one to watch. And then the biggest story has to be Matty Beneers. First ever 20-goal season in the NHL. 50th point on the year, too. I mean, it's just fantastic. Yeah, just an exclamation mark to this great rookie season that he's having. Uh, and to get 20 and 50 at the same time is is pretty cool. Um, and, and for a player who's had his ups and downs this season, as you'd expect any rookie to have, who's basically playing as a number one center on a playoff team. I mean, that is a really tough assignment. Uh, and you could tell how fired up he was after scoring that goal. Like, just go watch the video of his celebration. He was so excited for that one, and especially after having what he thought was his 20th uh, taken away. feels like a week or two ago yeah. uh, when Jordan Everly tipped the puck later. So um, good, good to see uh, Maddie get his 20th of the season. And, and a lot of people just get goals to, to kind of get going again. I mean, this was really the antidote that a lot of uh, players, needed jared mccann 
that rocket laser of a yes. uh, I'm running out of words for it of that wrist shot uh, to beat Soros. I mean, just we know what he can do, and he kind of resumes that uh, that's. Uh, what's the word chased for 40 <laughs> yes yes no and it was it was just really good to see too like the kraken just go off like that and you could tell they were all having fun and you can just tell it's nice when a team especially on the road and this team tends to only do this on the road can just do that and and let loose and score a bunch of goals and feel good and it's just one of those releases for all the all the yucky stuff that they had been dealing with for a while there, you could just tell that that all of those burdens were being lifted off of their shoulders altogether. Really, really fun. Can't wait to see what they have in store for us tonight against Minnesota uh, because I just, you know, how could this not carry over? Yeah, and I think we, we can't leave that Nashville game without talking about Ellie Tolbinen. Yes, because he scores a couple goals earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you talk about, you know, great release from players, great elation there. And, and somebody who wanted goals, you could tell yes. in that first game against Nashville, he wanted a goal. Well, he scores a pair against his former team, gets named the first star of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Nashville, they were already regretting waving yeah. Ellie Tolvanen, but uh, they got to see it up close in this one. Oh, yeah. And that. I mean, nothing could feel better, I'm sure, for Ellie Tolvanen than being able to do that in a game like that. He came out, you know, playing hard for both of these Nashville games. Lots of hits, lots of block shots. He was try- He's a complete player, getting lots of shots on goal himself as well. And then, yeah, to get that, that breakthrough and the score not just one, but two, that's got to feel great. For your first ever multi-goal game to do it against your, your former team like that, that's got to be really, really Really, really cool. Very, very happy for him. Uh, but okay, let's let's talk Daniel Sprong now. All right. We, we talked I'm, about I'm these ready. games, and as we talked about these games, every time I talked about a Daniel Sprong goal, because he did. He came back into the lineup, and he scored three goals in three games, was a part of some other ones. I mean, Daniel Sprong, RJ, you look at, at this Kraken team, you look at them, you sort them by you know goals, and he's right there third on the team. You sort you sort this Kraken team by points. He's seventh on the team, uh, tied with Andre Burakovsky, thirty nine points. I mean, he's it's it's undeniable that he has been a big factor for the Seattle Kraken team. He has helped deliver wins for them. He has helped deliver goals for them, which is obviously how you get wins. I should have started that way and worked the other way. <laughs> uh, but there's still an aspect of me that that wants to push back on some of all of this Daniel Sprong stuff because I do think that there is a reason that Dave Haxtell has been hesitant to have him be a full-time member of this team and of this lineup. Yeah, I can see both sides of it. And Daniel Sprong is... What a case study. I mean, he is one of the most fascinating, unique players the NHL has seen in a long time. And on a per-minute basis... He scores as much as anybody in the entire NHL. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's incredible if you you know kind of sort the five on five points per sixty. He's up there with the NHL's absolute best, ahead of the NHL's absolute best. But because of kind of the eye test and and how he plays and some legitimate concerns that we'll bring up later, he's struggled to stay in the lineup at times. And you know, he's still only playing eleven minutes a night. And there's you know hesitation from coaches and has been his whole career to play him those real top line minutes. I mean, he hasn't averaged more than 13 minutes a game, you know, at any stop in his NHL career. So, you know, what do you do with a player like that? 
uh, it's it's this conundrum that the Kraken are kind of trying to sort out. And you're seeing the the biggest extremes of his game this season, I think. But, you know, when he's on an upswing like this, nine points in his last nine games and, and a three game goal streak, um, you know, he's impossible to ignore. He absolutely is. And, you know, I, I talked about what is this team? What's the identity of this team? Well, it is depth. And Daniel Sprong has been arguably the, the, the face of that depth for this team. When you're talking about third on the team in goals, I mean, that doesn't happen to, a, you know, just anybody. Um, and so, I, yeah, it's just I look at him. I You know, you go back to like the Nashville, one of those Nashville games and you, you watch him kind of just try to solo one V four against the predators and he just turns the puck over and the predators are able to get started the other way while the Kraken are still mid change. And I still see plays like that. And I go, okay, this is, this is why you don't, you, you know, Hackstall has been hesitant to have him in there. Hackstall's talked about, you know, wanting to develop a fourth line that can be a little bit more defensive, some, a line that's going to be, you know, more so keep things, you know, low events nothing happening on the ice while his while his higher up lines rest on the bench come playoff time but at the same time it is undeniable what Daniel Sprong is capable of doing he does have one of the top shots in the NHL there's no doubt about that he's a fast player he can get up ice really quick he can shoot with speed which is I think is a big you know thing to mention there's a lot of players with speed there's a lot of players with great shots there's a lot of players with both but they can't always combine the two all the time but Daniel Sprung has proven time and time again this season that he can my big thing is I think what would have what would really sell me RJ on on Daniel Sprung is if he was able to contribute more on the power play and I know that you know the power play as a whole for the Kraken is abysmal i'm going to use that word it's really bad uh they were able to get that one tolvan in goal in that last nashville game but that was their first power play goal in like a really really long time and you just can't have that be the case and i feel like if daniel sprong was going to be a guy that i felt like you could more reliably count on in bigger moments i would see him pop up more on the power play i don't know is that is that unfair of me? Is it unfair of me to ask anything from anybody on the power play this year, RJ, just when it's been so bad in general? I know it feels like it, right? And and my answer that I've given you all season is it just goes back to deployment and they just need to utilize them. We yeah. talked about this with Bjorkstrand. And it I can't remember the last time we've really seen the power play kind of feed that sprong one-timer. It's been there. He's been in that yeah. spot on the power play. But if you're not going to use that shot and if you're not going to kind of direct the puck to it, there's no point in him really being there like as a distributor you can probably find somebody better on that spot um so part of me again wants to just blame the the usage and the, and the deployment because i just can't remember them feeding it like they have kind of the tolvanen one-timer recently since tolvanen showed up that's kind of the play that they tend to go with when they want the one-timer from from one of those spots like it's still there sprong will still use it but it's not like it was earlier this season and that's true though. That's something that he kind of has to bring. If you're going to bring value in certain ways, like I've talked about Sprong, even comparing him to like a gadget player in football um, where he's playing fourth line minutes, but you throw him out on the power play for that mm -hmm. shot and it's able to help you quite a bit. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think that's unfair to expect that of him. And we did see it more earlier in the season compared to now. So maybe that's part of the reason that, that Hackstall's kind of maybe choosing to move away from him before this recent stretch. But like overall, you talked about the philosophy of the fourth line and Hackstall maybe wanting to go to a more defensive kind of grinded out type fourth line. I'm really interested for your take on that because 
this is, I think, one of the big debates the Kraken can kind of have like later on in the season. It seemed like Hackstall had had picked a side. He wanted a more defensive yeah. grinding fourth line. But I think his plans had to maybe change or at least just be rethought after John Hayden goes down for the season. And now Sprong's back in the lineup. The fourth line's doing their thing like they were earlier this season. Like, what do you think should be the role of that fourth line? You put yourself in Dave Hackstall's shoes. What's the identity of that fourth line for you? And and does it change if Hayden is healthy? Yeah, so it definitely changes if Hayden is healthy. I was I was on board with him, you know, with, with that change when he made those comments about a month ago. I was all in favor of it. I said, yes, that is what you need in the playoffs. We talked about the importance of a line that can, you know, allow your top six, your top nine to rest. You can count on them to not let anything bad happen while they're out there. You can count on them to play physical, especially, you know, this is a Kraken team that I don't necessarily see, you know, sweeping anybody in a first round series, but I also don't think they're going to be an easy out either. So you start looking at a longer series, having a, a, a stronger, more physical fourth line like that can start to pay dividends as series goes longer as they can just punish defensemen physically over and over all that kind of stuff they can maybe try to get into a goaltender's head if they're crashing the net a little extra hard all that good stuff that we talk about when we talk about playoff hockey i am in great favor of that and i was definitely in favor of that with john hayden with john hayden removed from the equation however and i look at the roster and like i talked about earlier i look at the seattle kraken roster and i go you're not built for Smashville. You're not built for that kind of thing. And certainly if you're going to be having a lineup where you've got a Ryan Donato, a Daniel Sprong, a Morgan Geeky, all these guys down in there around around that section of your lineup, I, I, I think if I'm the Kraken, I, you just got to lean into it. And you just got to say, look, we're just going to try to outscore problems. And we just need, you know, two guys every game to step up and, and make make something happen for us. And we're going to put as many guys out there as possible that we feel like can do that. And the bottom line is Daniel Sprong has proven throughout this season. It wasn't even just like he got hot for a month that he is capable of doing that for you. So I think if you're the Kraken, you got to just lean into this at this point and go with it. Yeah, that's kind of where, where I've landed at is just... You have to lean into your strengths, and this is what sets you apart from any team in the NHL. You look at it, come at it realistically. You're a wild card team. You're mm -hmm. going to be playing likely a division winner. You're you could yeah. be playing a Colorado, possibly, you know, or Minnesota, Dallas, whoever it is. You're going to be the underdog in that series. And I know there's some value in the playoffs of having a fourth line that can just take care of business and let the other three lines rest up and then you know kind of get back to that one v nine forward matchup. I still think the Kraken probably lose that 1v9 forward matchup against some of these teams. Yeah. Like against Colorado, I think you lose that. Yeah. Uh, against Dallas, I think you lose that. And so you have to go with your kind of ace in the hole of what can turn the tide for you in a series. Something you have that nobody else does. And, and maybe it'll flame out and fail and they'll get lit up. But they have the chance to, to bring you an upset. And that is this fourth line playing the way that they do yep. and contributing this goal scoring in a way that just doesn't look sustainable at all, but it's been sustained all season. So you're right. I, I think they need to lean into it at this point. And, and Daniel Sprong has to be the centerpiece of that. I think you take the good with the bad. Exactly. If, if, if I'm them, I start trying to find ways and, you know, really the fourth line's done a good job of it all season, but to get him in situations where he can use his shot with his speed, where he can be getting up ice and creating problems for teams, because the bottom line is come playoff time, 
team might be that much more desperate to try to stop an opportunity like that. You start drawing penalties more often, all that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of good that can come from it besides him just skating in, getting a breakaway and scoring on it. There's, there's still a lot of positives that can come out of that scenario. So um, yeah, I'm in favor of them, them kind of just leaning into it, utilizing Daniel Sprung to, to the best of their abilities and the best of his abilities and seeing what happens. But that's for this season, RJ. Because the Kraken also have to make a decision around Daniel Sprong beyond just this season. Uh, he is an RFA. He's 26 years old. This is the, the last year. He's got arbitration rights. If you're the Kraken and, like, you know, assuming he doesn't, like, you know, just go on some crazy tear and he takes you to a conference final all on his shoulders, all that kind of stuff, RJ. What do you what do you think about this situation long term for the Kraken? Because it's one thing to lean into him this year when he's been hot all season. It's you know you're dealing with an injury to a different player that otherwise maybe would be the person you'd want to focus a line around and John Hayden, or at least a style around. What do you, what are you thinking when it comes to Daniel Sprong's long term future as a member of the Seattle Kraken? I'm thinking the Kraken have a really big decision to make, and it, it kind of relates to it. Like you have Morgan Geeky, Ryan Donato expiring. Yeah. I think you're going to see a lot of these depth guys that have kind of become fan favorites have to go, and, and maybe you can keep one at most. And should that be Daniel Sprong? It's an interesting question. I, you know, as, as much as I enjoy what he's brought this season, I think you need full buy in basically on that. We're going to have a skill fourth line concept. And even then, I'm not sure if you can keep him because the the value in a Daniel Sprong this season mm-hmm. comes from the fact that he is making league minimum salary. Yep. You brought him in on a tryout, you sign him to a league minimum deal, and that's that's where his value comes from because you have to make cuts elsewhere if he's making more money or something kind of mm-hmm. more appropriate to what his production is. And the real key is what that dollar figure is going to be. And I think you've got to have a hard line that you you can't go above. So to explain kind of how this works, because you mentioned that Daniel Sprong has arbitration rights. Now that's going to be absolutely key in this equation. If you're looking at it from the standpoint of GM Ron Francis, where as a restricted free agent, the Kraken, can uh, retain Daniel Sprong's exclusive rights to sign him uh, to an extension. But in order to do that, you have to give him a qualifying offer. Now, that's not a big problem. Basically, you just got to offer him about league minimum salary. That's not a problem. But when you do that and Daniel Sprong gets the rights to an arbitration hearing. So a neutral arbitrator will go in, hear Daniel Sprong's case hear the Kraken's case and decide on a, a contract length and a dollar figure that Daniel Sprong, you know, is entitled to for next season. And <laughs> this would be the most interesting arbitration case mm-hmm. that I have ever seen. I talked about it when we started talking about Sprong, where on a permanent basis, he scores as much as anybody in the league, but he's still a fourth liner, still struggling to stay in the lineup. And you can make really good arguments on both sides and it would get heated. It would get nasty. I'm sure as arbitration hearings tend to do, but if you're Ron Francis, you want to avoid that at all costs. I I would have, you cannot afford to to do arbitration with Daniel Sprong. So I don't think you can qualify him. I think Sprong is going to become an unrestricted free agent, free to sign anywhere. And when he hits the open market, I've got to feel like some team is going to see the production and maybe offer him more than what the Kraken can do. Yeah, and just, you know, to, to, to add a little bit more to the arbitration thing, an arbitration hearing is literally a team coming in and saying, you know, 
a player coming in saying, because I can do X, Y, and Z, I'm worth this. And the team saying, yeah, but because you're not good at X, Y, and Z, you know, this other thing or A, B, C, uh, we don't think you're worth that much money. Tell me ever when that's been good for, you know, both parties to go through a process like that and not walk out having ill feelings towards the other side. It's impossible, right? There's just no way you can do it and have things work out long term. Yeah, you can settle on whatever the arbitration, you know, uh, judge says and you you go with that and and that's that. But you're not going to ever have a long term relationship with that player because you just, you know, in 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 semi-public said you stink at all this stuff why on earth would i ever give you money like that's that's how the players take it because that's basically what it is and so it's uh the, it would be a nightmare scenario i'm with you it would be fascinating just to see like what with all the different numbers and situations being thrown around how uh you know the, the arbitrator would would make the decision and, and, and what kind of dollar figure they would award but, no, see, it's perfect if there's no salary cap and yes. you can basically just make the arbitration hearing like pay-per-view, just, you know, yep. sell tickets to, to everyone to watch it and it'll pay for whatever the arbitrator decides exactly. the salary should be and just takes care of itself. You let Sprong in on it beforehand and be like, look, let's just get it as heated as possible and uh, and sell as many tickets as we can. But uh, in the flat in the uh, salary cap world, it doesn't work that way. Right. But when you're talking about, you know, a player that scored 19 goals for you this season is third on your team in goal scoring. I get why people would be like, well, I don't want to lose him. Just pay him the money. The problem is, I mean, based on this, I got to think the cheapest you could get him for would be 1.5, right? Yeah, absolute cheapest. And that's, absolute yeah, cheapest. maybe closer to 2 million per year, which in the grand scheme of things for a hockey player, that's not like crazy money. But is it? Do you want to tie up two million dollars? That you know, that's two million dollars that can go towards Vince Dunn's extension. It's two million dollars that can go towards Maddie Benier's extension. It's two million dollars that could go towards Shane Wright's extension one day, or your ability to bring in a, another piece, another defenseman, somebody else further down the line. That do you want tied up in a in a Daniel Sprong who, let's be real, is just having a really hot contract year, and this is something we've seen many times, RJ. Right. Like I, I Daniel Sprong is old enough. He is 26. He has been in the league long enough for us to know that this is not really who he is. He is not going to be shooting 16.2% out there all the time for you. He's not going to be third on your team in goal scoring year in, year out. It is not who Daniel Sprong is as an NHL player. So I think it's one of those where you just got to say, look, Thank you so much for what you were able to do for us this year. You scored some big goals for us. You helped us get to the playoffs. Whatever happens in the playoffs, you helped us with that too. That was awesome. But go out and, you know, get paid somewhere else kind of thing. Like, we just can't do it here. We can't commit to that. Because the bottom line is, even if you do want to embrace, RJ, the idea of having scoring fourth lines, which I don't think Dave Haxtell does. I don't know that Ron Francis wants no. to. But even if you want to embrace that, the bottom line is, if you lose Sprong, you're bringing in Shane Wright. You're telling me Shane Wright can't come in and score 15 to 20 goals next year? You got Cole Lind with 27 goals right now at the AHL level. You're telling me you can't bring in Cole Lind next year and have him score 15 to 20? I mean, maybe that's a stretch for Cole Lind, but he could probably uh, get yeah, 15. 
he could probably get around you know 10 to 15 goals for you and help you out on the fourth line like you have options ryan winterton you know what i mean like you have options in your system that you can use or you can just go out and trust your analytics department to try to find the next daniel sprong you know what i mean again even if they don't get you 20 goals if they get you 15 that's probably all sprong was going to get you too but if you get them at half the cost that that frees up money for somebody somewhere else and i think that's the way the kraken have to approach the fourth line because that's just how teams have to approach the fourth line there's no way around it if you want to have if you want to be able to afford big time players you want to be able to take care of your maddie Beneers, your vince duns you got to give somewhere else and the fourth line is the place to do that it's the reality of the salary cap that that kind of middle class is getting squeezed you need guys on on league minimum deals or on elcs in order to pay your top players and kind of squeeze as much talent as you can into your the top of your lineup um and yeah that's that's just the reality of the salary cap you have to go and find the next daniel sprong and that's why these organizations i know you've talked about it on the red glare podcast and stuff the same organizations kind of keep doing well and keep doing well it's because they have the talented evaluators that can go and find the next depth player that they need i mean look no further than the tampa bay lightning kind of the most recent dynasty in the nhl um you know with with guys like Blake Coleman, their whole third line, you know, basically having to, to change that out and, and bringing in, you know, the, the next player there with trading for Nick Paul, uh, trading for a Brandon Hagel, trading for a Tanner Janot this year. You have to cycle in and, and find the next uh, of whoever it is that you've just had once they go get paid. Um, and it's unfortunate for for teams and for fans too who get attached to these players. You'd love mm-hmm. to see the same guys be able to stick around, um, but that's just not how the league works right now. So I agree with you. I think it, it, they just need to go find the next Daniel Sprong. But again, we'll we'll see. In this case, I, I wonder because you look at Ryan Donato last year, who yeah. was you know had kind of an impressive season, and from what we heard, it seems like he took less money to stay in Seattle. Uh, you know, on that one point two deal and i think if you kind of span that out and and compare it to what sprong's production is maybe that 1.5 is about right and at that 1.5 figure if there's not a ton of interest around the league i'd have to consider it but you'd have to buy in to to knowing what you want the fourth line to do and i just don't think hackstall is there i don't think he's there and like i said i don't but if i was the coach i'd think about it yeah, I mean, we just talk, we just gave all the reasons why you kind of have to for the rest of this season, right? You're gonna have to live and yeah. die for die by it for the playoffs. I mean, who knows if there's if there's playoff success with that? Although that would just increase the price tag on Daniel Sprung too. So, it's it's one of those like if you you know I I, I hate to say it, but if you want to keep certain guys around, you almost hope that they don't do well in the playoffs just because that keeps the price down. You can maybe resign them. But of course, then also, if you're the team, do you want to resign a player who didn't do anything for you in playoffs? I don't know. It's it's such a weird, messy situation. There's no good, easy way of talking about it. There's always going to be hurt feelings, whether it's us talking about it, whether it's the team making the call, whether it's the players involved. It's just the way it is. There's there's just no way around it because you're always trying to judge production in. And there's just so many ways in which you can judge production and value RJ. That, that every side has something that they can hold on to and, and hold up and say, but see, but see, you know what I mean? And use to validate their feelings. And that's that's what makes this whole thing interesting. And that's why arbitration cases especially are so messy and and uh, never result in good things. I mean, even just big contract ex- you know extension talks, all that kind of stuff can result in really 
uh, yucky feelings between teams and players, just Google, you know, or, or go on Twitter and type in Lamar Jackson's name today, especially. You'll, you'll <laughs> see what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, but from one player who, you know, it, it might need to be re-signed this offseason, the team's going to have to make some calls on to a player that the team made a big offseason call on last year, bringing him in on, on you know, a nice free agency deal, five-year, 5.5 per deal. Andre Burakovsky, RJ, we've talked about him being out of the lineup here for a little while now. Almost coming up, you know, close to two months now. Uh, Berkey's been out of the lineup. Kraken definitely missing his presence in the top six. Scoring has been a little harder to come by without him in the lineup. Um, but, you know, I want to talk. I mean, first off, do you want to talk about like how they've tried to replace him? I know we saw something interesting this last week. We could probably start with that. Yeah, yeah, let's start with that. So um, the, the Kraken have been, and Dave Haxtell has been kind of rotating different guys out on this second line of Wenberg and Schwartz. Those are the mm-hmm. those are the um, the mainstays. And then on that wing, they've tried a whole bunch of different things. They've they've tried Jesper Froden. They've tried Brandon Tanev. Uh, they tried Oliver Bjorkstrand even for a little mm-hmm. bit. And then this last game against Nashville, they tried Morgan Geeky there moving him off of that fourth line center spot, um, thinking that maybe that could work. I mean, it kind of mixed results. I mean, like yeah. I thought to the eye test, they looked okay. Still over 50% expected goal share. But, you know, you win that game seven to two. They're on the ice for both goals against and no goals for. Um, so, you know, to be a minus two in that game, you know, maybe it says a little something. Um, you know, so it's not the best. And and of the expected goal share, they were the, the lowest of the Kraken's four mm-hmm. lines. So I, I saw some things that, that could work out. But again, it, it's still not, you know, the work in progress is still there. So I don't know. What, what are you thinking as far as the different solutions that they've tried? Like Bjorkstrand looked really good. But then it yeah. kind of destabilized the third line. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you do in that spot? I have no idea because I liked Morgan Geeky being there. I liked that he could focus on shooting the puck more. I liked that he could focus on kind of being, you know, a jerk net front and going there and 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 ticking off some defenders. Like I liked all that aspect because I think Morgan Geeky can totally do that. But you know, we've spent a lot of this podcast talking about what are the Kraken going to try to do with like their fourth line come playoff time. Morgan Geeky is like your best face off man. You want to take him out of a center spot? Probably no. not. You don't want to do that on your fourth line that's going to have to go out there. Uh, so I think you're going to need Morgan Geeky to be your fourth line center come playoff time uh, and down the stretch here. So I don't think Geeky is the long term solution. It's really tough because when you talk about this Wenberg line, this is the one line that Haxtell so far this season has started in the defensive zone more than in the offensive zone. It's the only line on the team that he has done that with because of Alexander Wenberg and what he's able to bring defensively for you. It has been clear all year that this is the line Haxtell trusts with trying to shut down opposing teams' top sixes, whoever they view as the most dangerous. That is the job of this line. So trying to replace a goal scorer on it. I mean, even when Berkey is healthy and coming back, I still have like questions about putting Berkey in this spot just because this is your defensive line. Are you really using Andre Burakovsky to the best of his abilities if you're sticking him out there starting in the defensive zone? I'd argue probably not. It's just you don't really have anywhere else to put him is <laughs> the problem. Um, I So I, I just don't know. I, I think I would consider putting Donato up there because Donato can get things done maybe defensively. I think maybe Donato on the four check, try to get a cycle game going with a Jaden Schwartz. I'd like to see that maybe a little bit more. It's just, 
it's tough. It's really tough. I I don't know. Either that or you just go back to Froden and whenever Berkey's back, you just swap them. Yeah, I mean, they're, the lineup has shaked out so perfectly on the other three lines. Yeah. You don't want to mess with them or do anything. And I think that's part of the reason for the Froden call-up, too, is just to leave those other lines untouched and bring in someone who may be able to fill that void, even though, I mean, he's you know, mixed results, I'd, I'd say, yeah. for Jesper Froden there. Um, yeah, it's just hard. What do you do? Uh, they're basically just waiting for Andre Burakovsky to come back uh, and just kind of having a line that's off or incomplete in the meantime and they haven't been able to come up with a solution i mean if there was more time left in the season i would like to see cole in there uh-huh. i don't want to take away another big piece from coachella valley and it's tough to just throw yeah. him out there you know in a playoff push and all this stuff so i don't know about the reality of it right now but i'd like to see what cole Lynn could do in that spot but mm-hmm. i just don't think there's enough time left no i don't think there's enough time for that either i think that would just be more disruptive than productive unfortunately um i the other thing that i would i would do is you know and this is if the kraken had more depth you know at as far as high scores guys that could reliably be counted on to score is i would look at you know maybe sliding jared mccann down or something because he can be defensive and you can just turn that into your defensive line of Schwartz, Wenberg and McCann. They're going to lock everything down. You don't have to rely on them. They've got pieces. They can create offense. If you want, Wenberg can help set up McCann when they're in the position to do so. And then you put Berkey back up with Eberly and Beniers. The problem is I don't know that that was always the best looking line earlier in the year, Beniers, Eberly and, and Berkey. Uh, and with McCann right now, I mean, he is the only guy that you can you know, reasonably expect to score you a goal in any given game. You can't change that. You need that. No. You need that going into the playoffs. So until the Kraken have more high scoring, uh, you just can't mess with, with McCann right now. So, yeah, it's just a tough, difficult situation all the way around, one in which I don't think there's a good answer for other than to just kind of keep doing what the Kraken are doing and, and wait it out. Yeah, although I wonder if it's a bit of a moot point just because – well, we don't know when Burakovsky's coming back. Yes. But if he, assuming he comes back by the playoffs, then okay, well, then he just slots in there. And we talked about it with looking at the standings. Like the Kraken aren't in this desperate position where every single point necessarily matters. You're kind of locked into that top wildcard spot at worst. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can afford to just throw whoever on that line. And when Burakovsky comes back, he comes back. I. Again, I don't know anything. Uh, they haven't updated us on his condition any further. Mm-hmm. He didn't make the road trip, it looks like. But I, I got to think he comes back for the playoffs. But I, I we talked about this a little bit beforehand. It sounds like you might disagree on that. Yeah, it's tough without knowing what it is, obviously. Because like if we had a diagnosis, we could very easily have some sort of timetable around that. But I was thinking about it the other day and I was and it and it hit me. I was like, well, we talked about this last week, RJ, when it comes to the team and their practice schedule and all that stuff. And I brought up the idea of maybe one of the downsides of that practice schedule would be soft tissue injuries. Right. And so I was thinking, well, if it is a soft tissue injury, we saw it was a non-contact injury. It's one of those things that makes you very much think of like an ACL tear. It's obviously not a full ACL tear. They would have said so by now. He would have had surgery. He would already be starting on his rehab process. So we know it wasn't an ACL tear or at least not a complete tear. I, I All of a sudden it like clicked in my mind. I do wonder if it's a partial ACL tear. So then I went, I looked up what the timetable is for recovery and rehab for a partially torn ACL tear. And... For a normal person, a non-athlete, 
a, it, just to rehab a partially torn ACL, not to have surgery, you're looking at three months. This happens early-ish February. <laughs> that would put him in early-ish May, right? Like that. that early would, April. Or early Wait, April. no. No. No, May. No, no. March, April, May. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Early May. Early May. So he's missing the first round at the very least. And that's for a regular person who doesn't need to go out there and play pro sports, much less pro hockey playoff time. You know what I mean? I don't know that you want to ramp that up if that's what he has. And again, we have no idea. This is purely speculation based on the very limited knowledge we have available to us. But if that is something that he's dealing with, and maybe it's a partial MCL or any sort of partial tear, though, I got to think, one, he just might not be ready in time for playoffs, just on, on its face value. And two, if you're the team, do you want to risk him coming back early on something like that and risk a full tear where then you're looking at him not being able to join your team again until February next year? If he ha if he completely tears it and needs surgery and goes down that whole rabbit hole, I mean, that's like an, at least a nine-month recovery time. We just went through this with Tanev and Drieger. You're probably looking at next calendar year for Berkey coming back if you do that. I don't think, based on the Kraken, you know, being in a wild card spot, this very much just being like a let's make the playoffs year and see what happens. I don't think it's worth risking all that hockey next season if that's what's going on in trying to push him back for a playoff run this year. Yeah, it would certainly go against the the philosophy that they took at the trade deadline of look, we're not going to kind of mortgage the future here yeah. to help us this season. Whatever happens this season is what happens. But I still think about it. This is playoff hockey. Mm -hmm. And we know the the kind of crazy things that players will play through in the playoffs. I mean, Joe Thornton played a whole first round series with a completely torn ACL yeah. um, that, that he had torn maybe a week or two earlier. I mean, it's uh, yeah. yeah, it's we kind of nuts what players will do. I, I, I have a feeling we might just see him back the first game of the playoffs, whether he's healthy or not. Unfortunately, like I, I don't like that that's, you know, the, the case in a lot of situations, but um, especially with the Kraken not able to find a solution on that line. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know, right. but it's definitely something to monitor very closely too. Cause um, see, does he skate with the team some more? Does he practice? Does he try and ramp it up uh, around the start of playoff time um, as they come back home? Cause they're going to have most of their remaining season at home after this game. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll be keeping a close eye on it. Oh, definitely. And you're right. I mean, we've seen players play with punctured lungs, like literally risking death, not like risking, oh, playtime next season, but like risking significant bodily harm to themselves. Uh, it's just one of those, like at some point, I don't think all that stuff is good. I know it's always been lauded as look how tough hockey players are, all this, all, all that kind of, you know, macho, whatever stuff. I don't think that's good. I don't think that's healthy. I don't necessarily think playing with a rib puncturing your lung is a good thing and should be applauded. I think that's stupid, frankly. I think it's very stupid that you would risk your your life and your family's well-being and all of that stuff for a game. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's just me and maybe that's not a popular opinion around hockey. I don't know. Um, but I also think that it's one where I think the teams need to start getting more aggressive with what they're going to allow players to play through and for me if i've got a guy that's dealing with a partially torn significant ligament like that i am not rushing that player back unless i really think that i've got a shot at it this year and if i'm the kraken i 
I just, I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe every team all the time just thinks this is our year. Maybe they do. But I, it, based on the, the deadline, a certain like mental said, switch flips when yeah. one playoff time comes. I don't know. I, yeah. I just, you see it we'll happen every year. Yep, yeah. we'll find out. And again, that's all total rampant speculation, but it was something that I, I wanted to to kind of throw out there because, you know, people do, we've talked about Berkey a ton. Everybody wants to talk about Berkey all the time. Yeah. And that is something that I, I that I thought about uh, for him. Yeah, and I, again, you don't like to engage in like lots of speculation and that sort of thing over an injury like this, but I don't know. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be too harsh on it, but like the team kind of forces us to a little bit when you don't give any updates about what it is they could end the speculation tomorrow if they wanted to exactly so it's it's one of those everything you know every choice got 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 goods and bads to it and that's one of them uh, but that's going to do it for this episode of The Deep Dive presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. I uh, want to thank everybody for joining us for this one, and we will see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons, Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Burnt Krem, Chris, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Evan, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jeremy, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steven, Striatic, Tasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zayin. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. <laughs>